Welcome back to the Monocle, where we keep an eye on Dynasty football. Today, we're going to be going over some of the big winners from free agency. Um, we're not necessarily going to go over the, the biggest winners, like the obvious ones, because I don't think that that would be uh, the, the best use of our time and maybe not necessarily something you guys want to hear. You've probably already heard it on a, at least a handful of other uh, podcasts. So, um, you know, we're going to try and dive a little bit deeper today and uh, see who we're going to talk about. Yeah, so just like John was saying, we, you know, we're going to skip over guys like Kyler Murray and, and Drake, um, one, because we talk about them all the time. And that was our, you know, that's our mandatory quota of the, of the show. We got both those in right now. Um, they're obvious <laughs> winners. So we're going to go through our list of guys that maybe aren't being talked nearly as much as winners that we think actually kind of come out really big in this. And so the, the first guy I'm going to bring up is Blake Jarwin, right? He signed a, a four-year deal with the Cowboys. Um, he's going into his fourth year and he's now like the tight end one. They don't have anyone else on that team. That's even close to kind of competing with him for that spot. And I don't necessarily even think that they're going to be looking to draft a tight end because they just signed Blake Bell. They drafted Dalton Schultz um, in the fourth round a couple years ago. And now, and they have Jarwin right signed to this four year deal. So it's not really a position that they're going to be looking for in, you know, as far as rookies, but Dax absolutely loves the tight end position, right? From his rookie year, he targeted the tight end position um, nearly 23%, 20% in 17. It went down a little bit in 18 at 17%. But even then that's like still a very solid percentage of, uh, of throws. And then last year it was up to 21% in this new offense that's ran by more. And so with that, I think that's going to be, a real opportunity for Blake Jarwin to break into, I think the top eight of tight ends, because I see a scenario where he gets somewhere around a hundred targets. And it's really, really difficult to find someone that does that last year. Witten had 82 while, while Jarwin had 41. Um, so I don't imagine him taking all of Witten's targets necessarily, but I do think he gets a big chunk of that because he's now the tight end one. And so I could easily see him somewhere between 95 and 105 targets next year. And we might even see the Cowboys forced to throw a little more because they lost some players on defense like Quinn and Byron Jones. So their defense gets worse, which in turn is going to mean, you know, probably more passing for that offense. Um, and one last like little tidbit is for the end zone and the red zone. Dak targets tight ends about 20% of the time last year in the red zone. Um, and that number went up even higher inside the 10 at 33%. The Cowboys don't really have like a go-to guy in the end zone. And it's one of the reasons Jason Witten actually surprisingly had a decent amount of touchdowns last year. But I think Jarwin becomes that guy. He is pretty athletic. We've seen him have big games. You know, I think there's a week 17 game a couple years ago where he had three touchdowns. Uh, so when he's getting, been given the chance, he has shown some abil some great abilities. And I think that this new deal and everything that's set up perfectly for him to kind of break through, be a tight end one. And I think, you know, tight, uh, tight end eight and better is a huge possibility. And he's going so late in drafts. Um, he's definitely a guy I'm, I'm shooting for in a lot of leagues. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely agree. Actually, I was looking it up right now. I um I see that Witten was actually the tight end eleven last year in PPR scoring, 
And so, you know, if you're kind of just going off of that and now that Jarwin's the, the tight end one there, I could definitely see him being right around there at the very least. And I'm sure that you're not paying tight end one prices right now for Jarwin. Um, in fact, we even kind of had a situation where somebody didn't even realize we were kind of helping somebody with their uh, lineup and we didn't re- uh, they didn't even realize that uh, Jarwin was out there on the waiver wire. And it was like, uh, why don't you try and trade somebody away and then just go pick up Jarwin for free? You know, and so, it, you know, when you're talking about price, especially, then yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, even those those last four or five guys in uh, tight end scoring uh, were within like a point of each other. So when you're, you know, when you're talking about that, then he could easily be tight end eight, um, even without going like crazy above what Witten went last year um, and kind of like a, a teaser for an upcoming episode. But we're going to. We're going to have uh, Peter Howard on uh, on Saturday and we're going to be going over vacated targets and what that means and kind of uh, maybe the myth of vacated targets. So I wouldn't necessarily get too excited about uh, about, you know, all of a sudden him jumping up to a 120, 130 targets or anything like that. But I could definitely see, a, a, you know, an uptick or at the very least what Witten had before. So I, I definitely think, you know, your argument is uh, is reasonable with Witten. Yeah, and, and like I said, Dak really kind of relies on that tight end, it seems, especially down in the red zone, like I was pointing out. And that's where, you know, you're going to make up some of those those points. So if you have a guy that's getting 100, you know, nearly 100 targets and he's getting a decent amount of red zone looks, particularly inside the 10, I would say, like, you have a really solid chance of finishing as a tight end one, you know, easily. I think potentially Blake Jarwin could be like the guy that breaks out for tight ends. So I think the, he's a huge winner in free agency. So who's your first guy? All right. So mine is one that I guess is kind of polarizing. Uh, You know, I've had some people that just absolutely love him, and some people that just say he's, he's trash, he's garbage. And, you know, his backup's going to be the starter by week five. Um, And, you know, that player is Baker Mayfield. I am a believer in Mayfield. I have been since he was drafted, uh, but obviously last year didn't exactly, you know, he didn't exactly shine. He didn't take that second year leap or anything like that. Um, he definitely had more of a sophomore slump than anything else. Um, but I do think that a lot of ha- that had to do with the team itself, the the head coach, and then obviously the offensive line. Um, the offensive line was the biggest one. Everyone was really excited when they traded for OBJ but the, what they didn't necessarily think about, or at least not everyone did, was that they traded away one of their best, if not their best offensive linemen to get OBJ. And it's it's not very often that I say that the Giants made a good decision, but it kind of seems like in this case that maybe they did. You know, they, they gained an offensive lineman that they desperately needed, and they got rid of one of the best wide receivers in the league, you know, talent-wise – but also somebody who wasn't exactly happy. They knew that their quarterback situation was up in flux and that kind of thing. So it it all kind of made sense, but it did end up hurting uh, Baker in the long run because you you see his sacks went up from 25 sacks in his rookie year to 40 sacks in in his second year. You know, and that's not a, a huge leap, but it definitely makes a difference. But, you know, because of that, because of that pressure, even if he was able to get away, Maybe he started, uh, you know, that his interceptions also went up. So maybe he's trying to avoid a sack and he makes a, a bad throw because of it. And next thing you know, you have an interception that you wouldn't have possibly had. Um, 
they obviously went out in free agency and they got Jack Conklin, who's not the best right tackle in the league or anything like that, but he's definitely uh, average to above average. And what they've been dealing with with uh, Hubbard has been below average for sure. Um, I, I want to say PFF had a Hubbard graded out as like the 52nd right tackle out of 72, uh, something around there. I don't know the exact number, but he uh, – so, I mean, right there you're talking about, especially just for, for passing purposes, that's going to be a, a big deal. And then obviously Conklin brings something to the running game as well. Um, and, and even Baker has a little bit of that. So he could, his, uh, his rushing stats could actually go up a little bit as well. Um, Conklin only allowed four sacks last year, uh, at least uh, that are actually attributed to him. So that could definitely be a big boon for the right side. And then, you know, they have that top 10 pick in, in the draft and this is a, a tackle heavy draft. So they could go out and get a left tackle in the draft. Next thing you know, the offensive line is completely fixed or maybe not completely fixed, but much better than it was last year. And, uh, you know, those 40 sacks, uh, 40 sacks go back down to like maybe a normal number or a lower number, at least. Um, obviously, they brought in Austin Hooper, who, you know, kind of once again, maybe not necessarily the best tight end out there or anything like that, but definitely the best tight end available. And I, I think it's just another another piece, uh, you know, another cog in the wheel, uh, if you will. And Stefanski taking over, he ran two tight end sets, the second most in the league last year. So I basically see them running a two tight end set with Hooper and Njoku all the time or, you know, a good majority of the time. And so now you're going to have Hooper, Njoku, OBJ, Landry, Chubb, and Hunt. Obviously, maybe not them at the same exact time, but that's going to be like your core right there. And then some ancillary pieces. And I definitely think that's going to give a, a boost to Baker. And, uh, you know, before I kind of dive into it a little bit deeper, did you have any um, thoughts about it? I was it? actually going to ask you if you think Baker's basically just going to be replicating what Cousins did. Because Cousins gave us, you know, he had a lot of great offensive weapons too. Maybe I think definitely the the Browns have a better setup overall because I would take Chubb, OBJ, Landry, Hooper, Joku over – you know, Cook, um, Thielen, Diggs, Irv Smith, and and um, Rudolph. But do you do you think that the the change in offensive mindset to being just such a heavy dominant run team is going to affect his ability to get stats? Because he's going to have to be hyper efficient, like we saw Cousins do. Um, that's kind of that's my big concern. I guess is this coaching change might lead to less opportunities for him because. It'll be great for Chubb and Hunt, uh, but I don't know necessarily if we'll see Mayfield reaping in a ton of benefit from it. Yeah, and, and obviously I, I see that, and you know Stefanski has that run-heavy offense, and and I'm a big Nick Chubb fan this year because of that. Um, but I just have a feeling that overall, like last year was such a dumpster fire that maybe you know just in general the offense is going to be better, but then just by there being so many of those options. And, and I agree, you know, they had, they had a decent amount to work with in Minnesota last year, but I don't think that decent amount adds up to what they have in, uh, in Cleveland this year. And so, you know, if everything's a little bit upgraded, um, you know, as it is Baker last year was 14th in passing yards, 16th in touchdowns 
And uh, in the second half of the season where maybe he kind of like started getting the hang of things with everything that was going on, he ended up being a top 12 uh, fantasy quarterback. So now, like I said, that was only for the second half. But, you know, I think people are kind of just giving up on him. Uh, In fact, I put a poll up out there and the consensus was that people would be willing to pay a late first to an early second, or I guess I should say an early second to a late first uh, to, to acquire uh, Baker in a super flex league. And to me, that's just crazy. Um, now, obviously you had some people that voted an early first or, or, you know, a mid first or anything like that. But, you know, if you're, if you could possibly get Baker and it's not going to be in every league, but if you can go get Baker Mayfield for a early second round pick right now, do it this second, pause your phone, send out some offers and, and just do it because that's absolutely insane to me. Yeah, I agree. I think for the price that we're seeing some people, right. They're willingly taking, you know, some of these rookies over him right now. I don't know necessarily if I'd be doing that Um, maybe burrow, but I think you definitely have a strong debate between the two. So I I agree. Like I think because his price is so down, he's definitely someone that I'd be looking to buy in a lot of leagues. A lot of super flex leagues, I should say. And I guess I didn't really like truly answer your question before. Um, you know, I think you saw a statistical drop in just about everything for Baker last year. Um, and I just see that going back up to what it was at his rookie level or even possibly uh, beyond that. Um, and I guess uh, one of the things that's missed in the whole coaching change is that uh, Stefanski and then I cannot remember the offensive coordinator right now. Is it Van Noy or something, something like that? Um, they all, both of them are were actually QB coaches before. Uh, so even though obviously Stefanski was run heavy last year and, and that's what we're kind of like crediting him for, he he has a, a tendency to, you know, work with the quarterbacks and that kind of thing. So I'm wondering if they brought those guys in in particular to work with Baker, make him better, make him stronger, and, and at the very least get him back to what he was his rookie year, which was, I mean, a top 12 quarterback. And if, like I said, if you can get him for any kind of price, even if it's a late first, mid first, whatever, and you get a top 12 quarterback out of that in a super flex league, you're going to be really happy. But I definitely think he's going to have a much better year in this third season. And, uh, and obviously even going forward, uh, you know, they can even build on Yeah, that. I agree. And the, the OC is Van Pelt. Um, so you were close, but and Pelt, yeah, I was close. <laughs> I mean, really, I think Stefanski is going to be the guy that making a lot of the calls. Um, and I think I've gone over that in an article before when I wrote about OBJ and Landry, but it'll definitely be interesting. I think it's for his price. It's a good gamble to, to take right now. Um, but I kind of am thinking more that we'll see a cousins like season from him, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I just don't know if he's going to have that huge QB one potential, but, I mean, he's, you know, he's proven doubters wrong before and I could easily see him coming out on top. Um, so let's, I'm going to move on to, to my second winner. And this is a guy that I've recently acquired um, in our league today. And I did it before this podcast because I don't want it to influence anyone, <laughs> but um, I grabbed Teddy Bridgewater and I also grabbed him. I'm in a super flex tight end premium league uh, with chalk one oh one. And I was able to get him at the QB 28. Um, That was including rookie picks. So it is a QB premium league, which is six point passing touchdowns. 
But at QB 28, that's absolutely insane in my mind. Um, ECR on Fantasy Pro still has him in the 30s, which I think isn't fair because, you know, him signing recently, I think it's going to take a while for the numbers to catch up. But I was able to get him in the eighth round of this draft. And while the Saints have a really great offense with, you know, Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas, like the rest of their offense isn't exactly like amazing, right? As far as weapons go, like Cook is good, but he's getting old. The, the Saints don't have a number two wide receiver, let alone a number three wide receiver. And then he goes to an offense that has Christian, um, Christian McCaffrey. It has DJ Moore. It has Curtis Samuel. It now has uh, Roby Anderson. It has Ian Thomas. I think he, he goes to probably one of the best setups for a quarterback right now. And as such, I think you're going to see a jump in his stats. Um, last year, he started five games. And in those five games, he had nine TDs, two INTs. He was about a 70% completion rating. He had a 5.4 TD percentage, a 1.2 INT percentage. And I know it's tough to like extrapolate a five-game sample, right? It's a small sample size. Um, and if we look back at his other seasons, he didn't ha- he's never had a five, uh, like anything above, I think, let's see, 4.3 before in his past. But even with like a 4.3 sample size, like we're going to see, or TD percentage sample size, we're going to see a huge jump in TDs for him because this is going to be an offense that likes to pass. They brought in Joe Brady um, as the offensive coordinator. He's the mastermind behind this LSU passing attack last year with Burrow and all those wide receivers that just absolutely lit up the NCAA. Um, he, I think he finishes somewhere around like 28 to 30 touchdowns next year, and I could easily see him getting close to 4,000 yards, especially because his pass attempts are going to go through the roof. The Panthers' defense is absolutely horrendous, um, right? Like, yes. I, I think the Panthers are pur- purposely trying to tank for whatever reason. Like, they they have these analytic guys in, and I think they're kind of going through this process of you know that that we saw in Philly with the 76ers and what we saw in Cleveland with the Browns. Like, we're gonna tank a little bit, try to gather some really high draft picks that can be super valuable and utilize those to create and build this team. And Bridgewater got paid a ton of money. Um, he's getting 20, I think over 20 million a year. Right. And I see this being a starting job for him for at least two years. And in a super flex, like you can't really plan out super far ahead. Even with your quarterbacks, you don't know what's going to happen. Right. Like Cam Newton two years ago would have seemed like a great, you know, starter you put him in that's your qb1 maybe your qb2 if you're really lucky and now he doesn't even have a team so you can't i don't really like trying to plan too far ahead in dynasty leagues i try to take it at least you know two-year windows right two to three-year windows a lot of people talk about that with running backs but i think you can do the same with some quarterbacks and right now teddy bridgewater is a pretty big steal in my mind especially if you're trying to win next year i think you can get him fairly cheap um in our league i traded i think i traded cam newton um, and Darren Waller, f- with, along with like a third and a fourth round pick uh, between this year and next year. Uh, I think it was a fourth this year, a third next year. And I got back Teddy and um, and Hurst, right, the tight end for, for Atlanta. So I, I think those kind of deals are something that you can try to achieve. I think reaching out, a lot of people said they would take Teddy for – you know, an early to mid second round pick in a super flex, I would do that in a heartbeat if I needed a quarterback because he's a starter. He has a ton of weapons. I think he's really going to 
he's going to do much better than a lot of people are projecting him to do. I can see him finishing in the top 15 next year. Um, that's kind of one of my bold takes, I guess. Yeah, and I don't necessarily disagree. And actually, that's a great point that I it took me like a year or so to learn about in uh, in Dynasty is, you know, like it's it is important to have young players. And we kind of went over it in, in previous episodes. But, you know, it's also more important about winning now. And so, yeah, Bridgewater might not be the guy in, in three years, four years, but he is the guy this year at the very least. And so if you can get him at a QB 28 price, um, even QB 24, like you were saying in your startup uh, without the rookies and stuff, I mean, that's still well worth it. And I cannot imagine unless he gets injured that he's going to you know, do any worse than QB 24. So at the very least, you're going to get him at, at cost. Um, but I would imagine that he would probably be a little bit higher up there, especially with those offensive weapons. And like you said, their defense is just atrocious. So, you know, if they're, they're going to be throwing probably a lot more than maybe he's even used to. Um, and, you know, you look at his numbers and yeah, it's a 70% completion rating and a 1.2% inter, uh, interception ratio. But what, you know, it, a lot of that is just not necessarily dump offs, but it's a lot of like short yard yardage passing. And so, you know, he's maybe it's not going to be 70%, but it's probably always going to be in the 60s. He's not going to be in the 50s. You know, he's probably going to be in the high 60s. That was a really a reason why they wanted to keep him in uh, in New Orleans because, you know, he kind of follows what Drew Brees does. Now, obviously, in the past, Brees was could, you know, sling it down the field and do all that. And that's not really Bridgewater's game. But, you know, nowadays it's more about the short yardage stuff extreme accuracy, not turning the ball over, that kind of thing. And I kind of feel like that's what it's going to be like with Bridgewater as well. Um, I actually had planned on on doing Bridgewater uh, for, for this uh, pod as well, but I had like a list of like three or four quarterbacks, and I was like, well, I don't want to just do quarterbacks. And then when I saw you, you put them on there, I was like, all right, perfect. So we can go over them anyway, but it doesn't have to be me bringing them up. Um, you know, I, I, like you said, for the price, I can't imagine not going out and at least making an offer for him. Um, you know, the one that you did, maybe it was a little risky on your part just because, you know, Cam could possibly go somewhere. You know, obviously there's still a few spots available and everything, and he could end up doing just as well, if not better than, uh, than Bridgewater. Uh, but he could also be a backup somewhere or not get, uh, you know, not get passed on his physical and, and, and not even be a starting quarterback. But I'm sure that, you know, you can go out there. Maybe a second's not going to do it. But even like a late first or something, if you need a quarterback, uh, could probably yeah, get it done. Yeah, I mean, it all depends on league and what people kind of feel about him. But I just think, you know, like you said, he, he you know, he does well with throwing short passes. I know he, he was like number four in deep ball accuracy last year. But I think he only had, you know, maybe like 15 attempts down the field. Um, but he has guys like Moore and CMC who work really well in space and in short distances, you get them in the ball, you know, out in the flat and watch them work. You get points for what they're doing. So I think he has an, he has offensive skill guys around him that kind of tailor to, to some of his, um, some of his skills that he has, but let's go ahead and hear your second guy. Real quick, I was just going to say, I, I think you have to be a little careful when you look at that kind of stuff, because last year I was having the same exact argument with someone when they were talking about Derek Carr. And they said Derek Carr was uh, like the number three uh, highest percentage of deep ball uh, completions last year. 
And I was like, well, yeah, but he threw, he threw the ball deep like one time a game. And that's essentially what happens with Bridgewater. And yeah, you're going to have a great percentage if you see a wide open player and you sling it up there and he catches it. And now you just caught, you know, you, you just completed a pass for 40 yards. Oh, you have a hundred percent completion rating for, you know, passes uh, beyond the 20 yard, uh, you know, 20 yards past the line of scrimmage, I should say. So I just kind of wanted to say you have to be a little careful. And I usually look at how many per game they actually make and then look at their percentage. And if it's only one or two, then I don't really uh, give it too much credit. Said, I think we covered Bridgewater enough. And we're going to go to my next guy who is Amari Cooper. Um, it might not be someone that you necessarily think of as a winner because not ha- much has changed. Um, obviously, Witten's gone, so that changes a little bit. Once again, we're going to go over the vacated targets in a, a different episode. But, um, you know, I think that's a lot of, of like why he's a winner for me is because not really too much has changed besides the fact that he got paid. So, you know, that they believe in him. Um, I, I don't think he has the, the biggest contract in the NFL right now, as far as wide receivers, but I want to say it's the second and uh, maybe only behind Julio as far as like annual price. But, you know, I, I want to say it's at least one of the largest contracts out there. And so they obviously believe in him. Um, not too much has changed. Dak is still there for this year. And they, you know, even today I saw on the news that they were talking about working on a, a long-term deal with Dak. And I'm, I can't imagine they're going to let Dak go. Obviously it kind of works with them, even with Gallup and everything. Um, I really think if you kind of like do a deep dive into last year, you can easily see that injuries were a major factor um, and I think, you know, even you and I had had a conversation before about Cooper and you would kind of express your feelings about him and how you, you weren't the biggest fan and how it, it seemed like when he went up against easy competition, he did great. And sometimes, you know, the number one receiver that week, and then he went up against tougher competition and he just fell yeah, apart. Yeah that's, right? yeah, that's what I was experiencing as a Cooper owner. And so, you know, it was just something that, I tend to notice, right? Like, I'm sure you're going to explain kind of why we saw that, but I still remember getting zero points when he, or not zero points, but, you know, getting very, very few points against guys like um, Gilmore, you know, and getting shut down by Ramsey and things like that. Yeah. And trust me, I had Cooper in, in a handful of leagues last year. And so I can definitely, see that feeling you know or you know match that feeling with you because it's just it didn't you started out the season and it was amazing and you're like I have a top five receiver on my squad this is going to be awesome and then week six hit he hurts his quad he misses all of that game but then he comes back uh in week seven and you know he's kind of downplaying it and it's like, all right, well, you know, he's going to play, so he's good to go, right? Well, the thing is, he had he started the season for the first six weeks uh, through week six before he had the bone bruise. He was averaging a 92% snap share. And in that time, he was getting targeted quite often. That's when he had some of his biggest games. And, you know, he was doing really well. He was a top five wide receiver, like I said. Then he had the bone bruise. He missed all – almost all of week six, he comes back week seven for the next two games, seven and eight. He he's dropped to a 78% timeshare. 
So I really think, you know, he was, that shows like pretty obviously that he wasn't fully healthy at that point. He, uh, you know, did pretty, not terrible, but he definitely did worse in those weeks than, uh, than he did before. Then he comes back week 10. He has, I think they had a bye week, week nine, if I'm remembering correctly, I don't have it in front of me right now. Um, but then week 10, he jumps right back up to a 93% snap share. He also scores 31.7 points that week, but then he gets hurt at the end of the game. He has to get an x-ray done. They say everything's good. He gets an MRI done. They say everything's structurally good. You know, it's just going to be like a pain management or that kind of thing. So from week 11 on, he went back down to a 78% snap share. Um, And he did have one week in the middle, and I think it was week 14, where he had a 91% snap share. That was the only week that he was that high after he injured his knee. And that week, he was going against Trey White, which is considered one of the best corners in the league. And he ended up scoring. He he caught eight balls for 85 yards. Nothing amazing, but he scored 16.5 points that week. So then, you know, the – I think maybe he tweaked something or whatever. He drops back down into the sixties and seventies uh, for snap share. Obviously his routes run are, are down at that point and everything. And uh, you know, I, I really think if you just look at those numbers, it just, it clearly explains what, what happened last season. And so uh, essentially if nothing has changed except for Jason Witten is now gone and his 80 targets are, are now, I don't want to say available, but they are somewhat for the taking then I can, you know, that's why I think he's a winner, even though not too much has changed. Okay. You know, looking at some of the stuff you're saying, I understand, like, particularly you talked about, like, he had a jump back in week 10 when he came back. Um, But that was also against Minnesota, who I think was one of the absolute worst against wide receivers. Um, So it goes back, I think he's facing Mike Hughes, according to player profile. And that's like one of, he was like one of the most burnt, cornerbacks last year um and it goes back to that idea that i was talking about where i feel like when we see him go up against soft competition and to be fair he has a lot of soft competition he'll face right um he he does extremely well like he just knows how to work it um i think it was at mike me up that talked about some touchdown regression that we might see with him um with cooper and so that's something Mm. that i was a little concerned with as well and there are some more elite cornerbacks that are coming into the, into the division for him, right? Like Darius Slay, you know, who he faced off against Detroit, didn't exactly do the best, but I know he went out of that game um, with an injury there in week 11, but he, you know, he got shut down by Darius Slay. That guy's now the starting cornerback for Philly. Um, you have Bradbury, who's now the number one cornerback for, um, for the giants. And those are guys that absolutely like shut down top wide receivers. And so I'm wondering, you know, I have to go through and look at what the cornerback situation is going to look like for the guys he faces, but that's one of the reasons why I've kind of pivoted off of Cooper onto Gallup, who's going to, I think face way softer competition and be able to take more advantage of that. Um, But Amari Cooper is definitely like a big boomer bust guy. And him sticking with Dallas was probably best case scenario. He's already built that rapport with Dak. Um, we know he's going to get a decent target share, probably somewhere around like 24% target share, which is really good for wide receivers 
And he would have kind of fallen into that whole idea that we saw with OBJ and what I think is going to happen with Hopkins if he went to a different team where it usually takes like these stud wide receivers a little bit to get adjusted with these new teams um, and get adjusted to their play calling and to their style of offenses. But he sticks in an offense that's going to throw the ball. That's a big plus for him and all kinds of things. So I do agree a little bit that he is a winner. He's just still someone that I'm not necessarily actively trying to buy right now. Sure. And I mean, it, it's hard to argue because when, when you try and bring up Cooper, obviously you can look at the splits for five years. He's been in the league for five years. And so it's, it's extremely hard to argue it and say that he's not boom bust, but I really just think, a, I don't really, I try not to look at the stuff when he was on the Raiders. I'm not a Derek Carr fan. And so I just kind of avoid that altogether. But when you look at what he's been for the Cowboys, what he was that, you know, those eight games when he came in in uh, what 2018 and then, you know, what he was at the beginning of the season before he got injured. I don't think he's as boom bust as people try to make him out to be. And if it was just a matter of going up against good corners against going up against, you know, crappy corners and that kind of thing, then I don't think your snap share would be changing. If anything, they would want Cooper out there for a hundred percent of the plays to take the number one corner and then, you know, have Gallup open underneath, have Jarwin under, you know, now, open underneath that kind of thing. So I say now to be fair, but, last year, I remember in week 16. So my family's big cowboy fans and, you know, I have a little beef with Jerry Jones, so I'm not actively rooting for them right now, but um, <laughs> I remember specifically, they took him out of the game for Tavon Austin Somewhere it was in the fourth quarter, like pivotal game point, and he wasn't even on the field. Um, and it started to make that's one of the reasons I started to wonder if he was actually going to go back to Dallas because I thought maybe they were souring on him a little bit. So it makes me wonder if your your injury theory is right, like if he was still hampered more than we thought or what was going on. But I feel like there's no way you keep him out of the game in that situation. Um, but it's just something something I remember that popped up in my mind right now that makes me still hesitant about someone like Cooper. But I also agree you need some boomer bust guys sometimes. Like if you want to win a title, you need a guy that can get you 35, you know, in a game. And Cooper's definitely a guy that's shown he can do that. And so if you have a good roster construction, you can afford a few boomer bust guys as long as you have some of those, you know, steady eddies that are are getting you those, you know, average points that you need to kind of be there. Sure. And I think uh, your next guy is going to be one of those steady eddies that you're yeah, talking yeah. about. Yeah. So the next guy I think is huge winner is Jamison Crowder. And he is, I j- literally just drafted him like five minutes ago or so on in this, uh, in that super flex tight end premium QB premium league that I talked about. I got him as like the 58th um, wide receiver. And so last year when Darnold was the quarterback, because we know Darnold missed some time with, with some illness, um, he was on 132 target pace. That would have put him at, you know, the 13th wide receiver in targets. Um, Darnold absolutely loves his slot players. And so these stats I'm about to push out um, come courtesy of at Josh ADHD. Um, he has these, this information available through Roto Grinders. You can go on there and click on this data and kind of calculate some of it yourself. But last year, Darnold targeted the slot 41% of the time. Um, Crowder ran 85% of his routes out of the slot. The year before, Darnold targeted the slot 46% of the time. Um, so it kind of shows us that 
Darnold really likes to get slotty during the season, and it's probably why he got he got mono. But <laughs> it also is a real boost for Jameson Crowder. The Jets didn't add any major free agents, right? They lost Anderson. They replaced him with Perriman, who I think is a worse version of Anderson. Um, I'm sure they're going to draft Agreed. a rookie wide receiver in the first, probably Judy, maybe Lamb, who knows? But I don't think it's anyone that's going to be taking away these slot positions. We add in the, you know, my kind of theory on the season potentially being delayed. Um, and that's going to affect rookie wide receivers and the rapport that they build with Darnold. And so Crowder is someone Darnold already trusts. He really favors them. Um, those quick short throws are going to go to Crowder. And, you know, I, it's just tough to pass on a wide receiver that's being drafted as like a fourth or fifth guy who's getting, you know, a hundred plus targets. It's, you know, it just doesn't make any sense to me why he's being so undervalued. And it's not even like he's extremely old. I think he's 26, going to be 27 this year. So he's not crazy old. He's right in his prime. And people are just absolutely overlooking this guy because he's a small dude that plays in the slot. And I think he's a huge winner from free agency and someone that I would want to target in almost all my drafts if I could. Yeah, and those are great numbers. Uh, obviously, if, if you're thrown to the slot 41% of the time and you're in the slot 85% of the time, then that adds up pretty well. Um, and we saw that snap – or not the snap share, but the target share that he had those first few weeks. And it was insane. Didn't he have a 20-target game in there? I think week one he had 17 um, targets or something like that. It was you know insane. Like Everyone was like, what the hell just happened? Um, and then, of course, Darnold yeah. goes out, and he has mono for like the next five weeks or so. But even when he, he was out, Crowder still got a decent amount of targets. But once he came back, um, Crowder kept getting peppered with targets. You know, like he would consistently be getting eight to nine targets a game. I think he ended up finishing the season with 122 targets. So even with Darnold out for, you know, five games or so, he still, like that offense was predicated on throwing to the slot, just kind of like, how Jarvis Landry ate up, you know, a bunch of points while he was um, with Miami and Gase's offense was using the slot to their advantage there. So I definitely think he's really being overlooked in a lot of leagues. Yeah, I mean, you know, the 120 targets has got to be at the very least top 20, you know, in target wise in the league. So if you can get something like that for what you yeah. say, wide receiver 58, um, you know, then that's definitely I, the only thing I would say is I feel like you have your guys, your, your people in in leagues that like love Crowder and, you know, and are already talking about him. And then you have guys that have never even thought about Crowder and couldn't care less. So if you have one of those guys in your league, then you're probably not going to be able to get them. But, you know, there's probably that's probably only like one out of every 20 leagues or you know something like that. So. Definitely worth throwing a feeler out there, seeing, you know, if anyone's really cares about them, if you can go get them for a third or even a second, um, you know, that absolutely that would be. Yeah, the, I think you really bring in. Other I think things. you really, you know, can solidify a team for you. Like if you need those, if you have a bunch of flex spots or things like that, like he's a guy I think you plug and play weekly in your flex. And like we said, if you had a combination of Crowder and Cooper, I think you're going to have a lot of success doing something like that. Uh, you know, with Cooper being your wide receiver one and Crowder probably being your wide receiver four in most leagues. But I think he easily produces wide receiver three and better numbers, um, you know, last year and this year. So 
definitely like a good combo. Like we said, like if you have those boomer bust guys like Cooper, pair him with someone like Crowder who you you know you know is going to be very consistent. Yeah, definitely. Actually, you know, it just made me think uh, last year in one of my leagues, I had Cooper and I had Beasley and, you know, maybe not exactly the same, but pretty similar. And so, you know, you kind of had you had some at least for a a time period, you had some uh, consistent work from Beasley where he was getting you like 12 points each week. And then obviously you had some of the boom and bust weeks from Cooper. And it worked out pretty well. I ended up getting the buy in that week or in that league and everything. So, you know, that's definitely something you can do. And we haven't really gone over like roster construction and that kind of stuff too much. Um, I know we, you know, we obviously did some like startup stuff, but uh, once we get maybe a little closer to the draft, you know, if it actually happens or like once we get to drafting teams, then we'll probably start getting into more like roster construction and that kind of thing. And maybe we'll have to remember this for that for then, like, you know, go get yourself a Cooper early and then get Jamison Crowder at wide receiver 58. So that brings us to my uh, final player. And I'm going to be quick on this one because honestly, I don't have much to back it up except for just the fact of like a gut feeling and I'm definitely not the only one that has this gut feeling um it's not like it's the first time that it's been mentioned by any other podcast or anyone on Twitter or anything like that um but my last player is Naheem Hines uh so first thing he's only 23 years old which I mean not that like it blew my mind or anything but that's still pretty nice obviously he's not gonna be aged out of the league anytime soon or anything like that so as long as he's with the Colts or with anyone else, whether he's traded or just, you know, goes to another team in free agency, he's probably going to have some court, some sort of role. And, uh, you know, that role is probably going to be the receiving back, third down back, whatever you want to call it. So he had 81 targets in his rookie season, but then last year it dropped down to 50 with Brissett. I think it was 51. Um, so obviously – whether the offense just slowed down, you know, whether that just wasn't Brissett's game, dumping it off, you know, whatever it may be, it was a pretty substantial drop from his rookie season in which he really didn't even start or play the entire season. You know, he kind of amped things up, ramped things up in, uh, you know, the second half of the season in his rookie year. So he probably could have been even on like a hundred target base or something like that. But he, he, that completely dropped off last year. But now here comes Philip Rivers, who I think everyone knows is just that's all he really wants to do at this point. He doesn't have the arm to throw it down the field. Um, so everything is going to be short. It's going to be a lot of dump offs. And, um, you know, I guess now he Philip Rivers targeted the running back position 163 times last year. I'm not necessarily saying that I expect that because obviously the Colts offensive line is much better than the Chargers offensive line. Uh, so maybe he's not having, he's not being pressured as much. He's not going to dump it off as much. Uh, but, you know, even if you knock it down to say 120 targets to the running back position, uh, Marlon Mack only had 17 targets last year to uh, Heinz 50. So, you know, if you kind of, and then he had 24 targets the year before when Heinz had 81. So, I mean, I would have to assume that at least the Colts don't see Mac as like, a receiving back, and that's just not part of his game. Um, so if it's going to be a lot of dump-offs and if Rivers is kind of doing his thing, then you might have Mac on the early downs, and then you bring in Hines and, you know, just going to see a lot of dump-offs and a PPR. That's going to be huge, just like it was for Eckler last year. Uh, did you have any thoughts yeah, on Hines? I guess I'm, I'm very torn on this one because – 
I know Mac coming out of college was kind of seen as someone that could catch the ball. Like he had a decent amount of targets. Um, I think his, his last year in college, he had like 39 targets, which for college football is like a pretty decent amount for a guy. Um, and then last year, actually, you're talking about Hines. He had more snaps total than Marlon Mack did. Now, Mack was out for a few games. I know he had, I think he broke his hand or he had an injury last year um, that kept him out of like some early games. I think he missed, yeah, missed week one, three, four, and five last year. And so in that time period, Hines got like a lot of play, particularly three, four, and five. He had like 73, 69, 67% snap of the snap share. So uh, mm. I don't, I don't necessarily know like if, why his targets went down. I think probably it was like the way Brissett works. Brissett would probably like tuck it and run more than he would just dump it off. And we know Phillip's not going to do that. He's captain check down. That's like his, his MO for the last three years. We could see like a Gordon Eckler situation where Mac is still getting some targets more than maybe we anticipate, but you know, Hines is still going to be used on the field. Um, I kind of want to see what if they were used together a lot or not and see how this offense kind of constructed around them. There's not a lot of pass catchers that I'm comfortable with on this offense, right? We have Hilton, who's consistently injured. You have Pascal, who kind of, you know, blew up a little bit. And then you have Paris Campbell, who was almost non-existent because of injuries as well. Um, the rest are, you know, more junk. Sorry to the Marcus Johnson, Chester Rogers stands that are out there, if there are any, all two of you. <laughs> Yeah. If there are um, any. But, so I could easily see him, yeah, maybe not getting 81 targets, but getting, you know, getting way more than he did last year. But I don't know how, just how much it's going to happen. Um, because, you know, some of the, we may just see Rivers like relying on a guy like Doyle um, for short yardage. And you have to remember San Diego had a pretty crappy O-line, um, right? It's one of the reasons they're rebuilding it right now. Probably trying to prep for a rookie quarterback at some point, but Indy has a much better O-line, so Rivers may not have that pressure to have to dump it off as much either. That's something else we should probably consider with this. But Hines is going late in rounds. He's a dart throw. Um, I think there's much worse guys to have on your bench that could potentially give you, you know, RB2 production, especially in a PPR. He's someone that I picked up. You know, we talked about it on one of the other pods. I had, like, just picked him up when I heard the Rivers news. I had, like, this similar mindset that all oh, like maybe Heinz can become Eckler 2.0 um, but there are some reasons maybe to go against that yeah and and that's the thing like I like I said that uh, this was one where I just kind of thought hey you know I'm gonna go I'm gonna pick a a running back a receiver and a quarterback for my winners I kind of wanted to switch it up my my three biggest winners were all quarterbacks and so I didn't I thought that was going to be kind of boring but when it came down to Hines, once I started like diving into it, like I said, there wasn't really that much to show, like that much evidence to show that he was going to have this like booming year. So it's more of kind of like a gut feeling. And obviously they could go in the draft and draft a, a running back, you know, early in the second or third round and you know, completely just wipe all of this out and none of it will matter. But I think, you know, kind of with some of our other players, the whole point is if you can get them cheap, if you can get him for nothing, I mean, he, I, I guess it depends on how many roster spots you have and that kind of thing, but he might even be on the waiver wire for some of you. So, I mean, if you can go at him for nothing or, you know, throw a third round pick at somebody and get him, 
then, you know, obviously it's worth it. If, you know, if someone's asking for you for a second or more, then, you know, don't worry about it. But, you know, I just, I could definitely see him getting back up to at least that like 80 targets or, you know, whatever, uh, somewhere right around there. And, you know, if that's the case in a PPR league, you know, that's still going to be what a, a running back four, a running back. Three, yeah. I think, around there. I think you're definitely going to get probably better production than what his ADP is. So he's worth, worth trying to take a risk and take a shot at, especially if he is like your RB, I don't know, five or whatever it's going to be that he's going at right now, because, you know, Mac hasn't exactly proven to be the most stable running back. He's been, you know, he's had injuries just about every year. Hines could, you know, we know he's probably going to get the two minute drill stuff. And like you said, a lot of the third down work already. So unless they draft someone like a, like a CEH or, or, you know, a Swift, like I'm not sure how much those other guys, other rookie running backs are going to threaten, the, you know, the wide receiver aspect of Hines game. So something to definitely keep in your mind. I'm just kind of curious, who were your, your other quarterbacks? You have Baker and I'm sure you're going to say Kyler, but who 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 was oh, yeah. your, who was Tyler. the third quarterback? I'm interested in hearing what you what you said or who you picked. So, so obviously, like I said before, Teddy was one of them uh, that I had planned on listing. Um, but then also Marcus Mariota. I definitely see some potential, especially if you look into his contract details. Um, you know, there a lot of it is in incentives, so obviously a lot of it's not guaranteed. He did get a decent contract if you, you know, if you look at what he has guaranteed wise, um, you know, he has what I think it's seven and a half million this year guaranteed. But then basically if he plays 60% of the snaps in a game, he gets a bonus every game. Um, and I want to say that that adds up to like another th- two or three million. And then if he gets a certain amount of uh, yardage or touchdowns, I forget exactly what it is, but it's all built in, but he can go all the way from it being, a $17.5 million contract to a $37.5 million contract just for those two years. So at the very least, obviously that was a way for them to incentivize him to come to Las Vegas. But I also think that shows that like, they're like, Hey, you have the opportunity to become the starter. And if you are the starter and you're doing well, and we win this many games and and that kind of thing, then you're going to make 40 million, almost $40 million in two years. And that's, you know, that's basically what Teddy Bridgewater is getting. So uh, definitely not a guarantee by any uh, stretch of the mind. Uh, but like I said, I'm not a Derek Carr believer. I, I think that Mariota will easily beat out Carr. And, uh, you know, it might not be week one, but you could easily see a Tannehill flip, <laughs> except for now it's Mariota. And, uh, and, you know, I think that Mayock and Gruden both really liked uh, Mariota coming out and so they went and got their guy and they're not big car fans but that's what you know they've had to deal with and he's been under contract and all that and I could definitely see there being a switch mid-season yeah like I'm said. actually reading some comments Gruden made about Mariota right now you know he talks about how he's sharp a photogen or a photographic memory mental quickness arm quickness physical body quickness all these kind of things that he really loved about him you know basically saying he would take him first overall in that draft obviously that hasn't worked out for Mariota um hence him being on his second team but you know if Gruden loves him we could (laughs) you're right you could see something Carr was not Gruden's guy he was not Mayock's guy 
maybe Mariota is their guy. And so they believe that they can turn around his career. Exactly. And then if, if you can get Baker for an early second, which I'm not sure in how many leagues you actually can, but if you can <laughs> go get him. But if you can get Baker for a late first, then you should be able to get Marcus Mariota for like a late second. I think second, so. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, you would think he, we're not even sure he's going to be a, the starter first off. Right. So that already suppresses his value a little bit. And unless you have Carr and Mariota, you're probably right. Like looking like, oh, I'm just going to hedge and sell on this and just, you know, I'll take someone else with one of these picks and not have to worry about this headache between picking these two guys. And maybe you throw out a first round pick if you have, you know, if you're quarterback needy and you go get Carr and Mariota, if somebody have, you know, ha- happened to have them. Or, you know, you throw a second here, a second there, if you have multiple seconds, and you get Carr from one guy, and you get Mariota from another guy, and now you're guaranteed the starter. And unfortunately, it seems like there's at least a, a few teams, whether it's the Bears or Las Vegas or, um, or you know, even the Jaguars, like somebody like that, where you might have to have multiple quarterbacks, um, you know, or the Chargers obviously could be one where you might have to have multiple quarterbacks just to guarantee that you actually have the starting whoa, 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 quarterback. Hold on, hold on. Year. Did you just say the Jaguars? You really yeah. think that Minshew is not going to play all 16, barring injury, of course, like with any of these guys? You think that they would replace Minshew? Minshew is an average to below average quarterback in my eyes. He is a worse version of Derek Carr. Ooh. Um, and you and I've already gone over my my feelings about Derek Carr. So I I don't I can't say obviously they traded away Foles. Um, but I think that they're kind of actively tanking too and, and trying to get ready for their move to London. Um, so I don't know if they were just trying to get some money off the books and that kind of thing more than they're like, oh, I'm a believer in Minshew. So I'm not sure if they were just trying to get some money off the books. Uh, you know, if they're kind of tanking for London or whatever you want to call it. But, um, you know, I, I'm not sure. I'm not so sure that it was we're sending polls away so that, you know, because Minshew's our man, I think it's more just getting some money off uh, off the books and, and just saying, hey, you know, he's okay and we can deal with it. Uh, see, now. I'm in disagreement. Minshew was one of my guys that I thought was a winner. You know, getting rid of Foles shows that they have confidence in him. Um, you want to talk about, like, money and moving to London, like, what's better than Minshew mania, dude? It's like sweeping the nation, um, right? Everyone wants to have that 80s porn star stash and headband now. Like he's have he has that charisma, <laughs> that swagger. Um, I think he's he's going to benefit because he's going to have to throw a bunch this year because their defense got way worse. Um, he has decent offensive weapons. I'm pretty sure they're going to add, you know, a wide receiver in the draft, probably someone in the first two rounds, most likely to complement Chark and Westbrook. They just added Eifert this week to give him a real tight end because, you know, no offense to Josh Oliver stands. It's probably going to take Oliver another year at least to really, I think, make his presence more um, because he didn't really get much opportunity as a, as a rookie. And so I can legitimately feel like Minshew will finish. I don't know. I would say top, top 18, top 20, which is still, you know, not top half. So he, he's average, but 
I, I'm not as down on him as you are. And I think, you know, if I had him in a super flex, I'd be decently happy with him as, you know, my, even potentially as my QB two, I'd maybe want a little more, but you know, at the very least QB three. Well, I think that's my whole point. Like, I, I really think that he's, like I said, an average to below average quarterback. So, you know, if you're talking about there's only 32 starting quarterbacks, you know, for the most part, uh, there's only 32 teams, then, you know, if he's quarterback 18, then that's kind of my whole point. I mean, not that that's a bad thing. And in a super flex league, you know, there's definitely nothing wrong with it. Um, but I definitely don't think his job's safe after this season or anything like that. And it might not even be safe this season. I mean, there's still some guys out there who knows if, you know, Jacksonville goes, Hey Cam, you know, why don't you come over here? We're not too far yeah, away. I guess that's true, but I don't know. I just think that they're going to put their chips behind him. And if he falls apart this year, they just draft a rookie next year. If he does well, then you ride Minshew mania even further. Um, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a believer in him. I know you, you have your <laughs> doubts, but. I think he, he might surprise some people this year, those of us that, that aren't as big on him. Yeah, the only thing that really gets me with Minshew is that he is very smart. Um, he, ha- he has, like, one of the higher or the highest uh, Wonderlick score in uh, the NFL. And so, I mean, we've seen very smart quarterbacks not be very good and we've seen uh, really dumb quarterbacks be extremely good so I don't know how much exactly it means um, but that was one thing that kind of stood out to me you know as far as running an offense and that kind of thing that's never going to be a problem Um, I just don't think he's that good you know he's not that physically talented even though he might be mentally talented. you think we have like a a Fitzpatrick 2.0 here like except Harvard or the West at Wazoo (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that, that might be kind of a, a good comparison because, you know, Fitzpatrick was never, has never been looked at as a, a great uh, quarterback or anything like that, but obviously he stuck around for what, 14 seasons or something like that. And maybe Minshew could do that. And maybe he can be that, you know, quarterback 18 for a long, you know, a very long uh, period of time. I don't think he's going to stick around for that long, but you know, I, I guess crazier things have happened. Yeah. We've probably gone off on enough tangents for this episode. Uh, obviously, we just wanted to cover some of the the free agency winners without like going over some of the same stuff that everyone else is talking about. Um, hopefully, we did that. Maybe you guys can go out there and, and get you know a, a guy or two off of our list and, and try and get them cheap. And then you know maybe you can flip them mid season if you're not a, a true believer. Like if you don't believe in Mariota, if you can go get them for a late second and then flip them for an early second or a first later on that's still a win. Um, you know, did you have any other points no, before we got out of here? For me, man. All righty. Well, like I said, we're, uh, we're bringing on uh, Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. Uh, I, I believe we're going to be recording on Saturday if everything works out. Um, we're really excited about it. I know he has a lot of uh, great explanations and everything that he goes over on his uh, podcast. And we're going to try and ask him as many questions and get a little smarter ourselves. Maybe our wonder look will go up a little bit. We're excited about that. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode, but uh, until Saturday, we're cashing out.